Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we approach the concept of the self from a concrete perspective, not in an abstract or philosophical way. What do the hard sciences like biology and physics say about the existence of the self? Does the self exist from a psychological perspective? What does this science say, and what does it mean for ourselves, our future, and how we think about change and self-improvement? We explore the scientific search for the self with Dr. Robert Levine. I'm going to give you three quick reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to our email subscribers, so be sure you sign up, join the email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. One, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide when you sign up and join today. You're also going to get our weekly email, which listeners absolutely love. It's called Mindset Monday. It's short, simple. It's a couple articles and stories that we found really interesting in the last week. Lastly, you're going to get a chance to shape the show and become part of our community. Submit your own questions to upcoming guests, help us vote on and change parts of the show like our intro music, and get access to exclusive opportunities to participate and become involved in our community like giveaways, Slack channels, and much more. Again, there's some incredible stuff, but you can only get it when you sign up and join the email list today. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage, or If you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and on the go, just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. 
Text SMARTER to 44222 if you're on your phone and join the email list today. In our previous episode, we discussed how your environment plays a tremendous role in shaping who you are. We looked at how personality develops and what underscores it. We talked about how you can engineer your own environment to make yourself more productive and effective, examined how to battle self-sabotage, and much more with our guest, Benjamin Hardy. If you want to understand how a few simple changes can make a huge impact on your life, listen to that episode. Now for the show. Today, we have another exciting guest on the show, Dr. Robert Levine. Bob is a professor of psychology and former dean of the College of Science and Mathematics at California State University. He's the best-selling author of The Geography of Time, Stranger in the Mirror, and The Power of Persuasion, which has been translated in over eight languages. His work has been featured in the New York Times, NPR, CNN, and more. Bob, welcome to the Science of Success. Good morning to you, Matt. Well, we're very excited to, uh, to have you on the show today. I'd love to start out, you know, Stranger in the Mirror is a fascinating book. And I'd like to begin with the concept of the self, you know, that that we we talk a lot, even on the show about, you know, self-knowledge, self-control, et cetera. But you have a really interesting perspective on sort of what the self is and isn't. Would you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into questions of the self and and sort of what some of the current conceptions of the self uh, are and how they may be flawed? So I'm a social psychologist. And for those of you who are not familiar with that discipline, we look at the the way the the person and our situations and how the grand mantra is that often the time and place you find yourself in dictate the way you're going to act and feel more than the type of person that you are. And as such, I've always seen the, the self as a malleable thing. We know we study after study where we, we see people, otherwise good people, put in, in bad, in, in difficult situations, can sometimes act badly and vice versa. And that's how it started for me. You know, the whole notion that we have a lot of different selves inside of ourselves and these different selves can come out in different ways. But what, what happened with, this is just the most interesting project. I don't mean, I'm not going to say it's the most interesting book that's for other people to decide, but it's the most interesting project I've ever been involved in. Because every, every place that I turned when I was looking for, looking for these notions of the self in other areas, I was just stunned by what I found. So, you know, for example, I started to look in, in biology and I found that, that the biologists also also have this, their general findings is that, is that we're, we're all multiple cells. We're literally made up of different types of DNA. You find it when you look in culture, you find that you look in different cultures where people tend to define what a self is differently. We see it historically. And the grand, the grand lessons that I started, that I began to see everywhere is that the boundaries that we imagine in our, in ourselves, no pun intended, that divide us, what's us and what's non-us are really vague. And it's, it, it can be, uh, there can be some really odd ways that we draw, that we draw these lines and we need to draw these lines in order to to get us through the night. And and the fact that, that the self is a most changeable object and that we have some control over this. To a large extent, we can control, we, we can at least encourage this parts of our, this 
type of self or the type of cells that we want to come out in different situations and to discourage the ones that we don't want to come out. So I know that's a long rambling answer, but you know, when you ask a question about what's my idea of the self, you're inviting long rambling answers. That's what we like on the show. So that's great. (laughs) I want to kind of unpack a couple of these different notions of the self, everything from sort of the self from kind of a biological or physical sense, the self from a psychological perspective, and then even the self from a a cultural or social perspective, let's start with with kind of biology and the hard sciences. You know, from a physical sense, does the self exist as a separate sort of system from everything else? Uh, uh, Sort of. Uh, You you can do, one certainly knows that there's something about their physical corpus that's that's different from the physical corpus of the person of the person standing next to them. But when you start to look at the boundaries, it can be quite challenging. For example, you know, let's imagine a, a slightly disgusting thought experiment, but you know, think of think of the saliva that's in your mouth right now. And I would ask and I ask you, is that saliva part of you? Is that part of yourself? And you know, usual I don't usual answer would be yes. Now, now let's imagine that I give you a sterile cup and I ask you to spit in that, in that cup and that saliva is now outside of you, right? It's not you. And now let's say I, you know, uh, how about, would you like to, like to take yourself back? Would you like to drink that stuff back in? I suspect that that doesn't look too tempting to you. So, you know, when did that self become non-self? At what point did it become non-self? So, you know, we could see it just that way in that in that kind of in-time way where uh, your skin is part of yourself and it starts to die. At what time, at what point does it become non-self? And then we see it in more in more fundamental ways. If, you know, if we look, biologists look inside of yourself and we find that a, a large part of our body weight and our body volume consists of bacteria and other entities that stay with us that are that are necessarily part of us that keep us alive and they have their own DNA we literally are made up of different DNA they have their own reproductive system so we're literally parts when we draw that line between self and non-self, certainly, you know, to, to a biologist, uh, our self is our DNA. The purpose of life is to perpetuate our, our, our DNA. And then we actually find that, that we have some DNA traces of other people. We are mothers. There are parts of our mother's DNA that are moved into the child after the child is born, and and that's just the beginning of it. And then I could, and then uh, I mean, there are there are people who who are literally chimeras, who are human chimeras, who have patchworks of different DNAs in their body. So you know, if you if you take a sample in their elbow, it might be one D, uh, one set of uh, of chromosomes, and you go to your shoulder, it might be a different set, and then go to the, their face, and it's back to the first set. People who are literally biologically to people, so that's that's scratching the surface of the of the the ambiguities of the what's self, what's non-self, who who are we on that very basic, as you put it, hard science level. This is before we get to the vagaries of of social psychology. And I think another sort of aspect of, of the, the kind of hard physical sciences. 
you know, when you when you dig down and look at things like the structure of cells or even molecules, there's such a diverse, a sort of complex, adaptive nature of all these different things going on that, in many ways, you know, kind of exist almost separate from what we would consider ourselves. You're at, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if we start, if we really start to dig into the biology of it, we see these these levels and depths of of different cells within cells within cells, or these entire these entire ecosystems. You know, you you have parasites uh, are, are wonderful examples. You know, where uh, something this thing enters your body, it sometimes develops a bubble, an encompassing bubble around itself, and it can remain inside you. It can remain inside you for, for years sometimes. You know, the clever ones know how to, they'll set up camp inside inside your cells. They live inside your cell. Are they you? Are they something Are they something else? And you live within that world that they've created, you'll see parasites within parasites. This is the reality of, uh, of being a human being. Yeah, obviously, it's, it's not too functional to think about these kind of things all, all the time. It, there's a, I think there's a good Darwinian reason that we've developed these, these narratives that tell us that we are a certain person. We have a self. This self is distinct from other selves, that there's some consistency in the self, there's some continuity in the self. You know, if we, if we can't connect those dots, I think that it would be very difficult for us to, to move on. Let's look at it now from, from kind of a psychological perspective. Do we have a single self, you know, from, from sort of a psychological standpoint? Oh, you all whack of multiple personalities. That's, I, I think that's the, uh, the, re- the rest of your question. We don't have a single self. I, I think anybody who has a single self, who has always been the same and remains the same, remains the same with different people in different situations, is, uh, is somebody who has, who has some other, other serious problems. You know, just, I mean, just think of yourself. Think about if, if I ask you the question, who am I? And in fact, there's a psychological test where you can do that. All right. Write the question, who am I? Of course, it's, of course, the top of the page, put down numbers one to 20 and scribble down the first 20 answers. Now let's try it a little different way. Let's ask, who am I? You know, who are, are you? And how would your best friend answer that? And then let's have another list where, um, one of your parents. How would they answer it? How would your lover answer this? Now let's compare the list. And where do we, you know, where do you see similarities in the list? But where do you see differences in the list? And where we see the differences in the list, is it, is it just because the other person want to seeing it through their own filters? You know, for example, might it be that you describe yourself as an independent person, your best friend described you as an independent person, but your mother described you as somebody who's very a very needy, dependent person. Is that because your mother is just never going to see you as an independent person? Or is it that you act somewhat differently when you're around your mother? And once you start to collect these things and you think of who is the, you, who is the person that you are when you're with your mother? Who is the person you are when you're with your lover? Who is the person that you are when you're ordering ordering food in a restaurant? And I think that if you're a, quote, normal person, they're going to be very different people. 
and I, I and I would suggest uh, if if you're on this kind of track, something that I always find interesting to do, and I, I like to do them, I like to ask my my students to do now is okay. So collect these people, collect that person who's a student in the class, who's with your mother or whatever. Invite them all over. Invite them all over for dinner. Have them sit around the table. And what do you think? How much would they have in common? What would they say to each other? Would they get along? Would they like each other? And the answers to these questions, I believe, can be informative, informative to the person who's asking them. Now, in addition, when we think about the different people that we are, if one thinks about it, think about it historically. You know, think of yourself as a, say, as, as a five-year-old. Think of yourself as a 10-year-old. Think of yourself as a 15-year-old and, and on. And I think, and if I ask you, well, is that you? You know, was that, that somebody asked me, is that Bob Levine? Uh, yeah, of course, that's Bob Levine. But how much do I have in common with that person? No, I mean, I, I think in most cases, we have much less in common with the person that we were when we're when we're a young child than we do with any random person our our own age. So how is it that we make that connection? And how about the person that we imagine ourselves becoming, our future self? How do we put those things together? How do we weave that kind of narrative together? And we do. We do. It's a, it's a way of creating our, of keeping our sanity. But I think it, it also, when we just, you start to think that way, it opens up possibilities for allowing ourselves to create the person or the people that we want to be. So again, apologies for a long rambling answer, but it's a, it's a big topic. I want to look at a couple experiments that you've talked about that, that kind of demonstrate, you know, from sort of a physical but also psychological perspective how the concept of the self can be very malleable. Let's start with the rubber hand experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rubber hand. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to do a, a slightly a different variation on the rubber hand experiment. If it's, if it's okay, if, in fact, if you want to ask me about the experiments that I experienced with uh, virtual body parts in Sweden, or I could just answer it. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one as well. So, uh, so tell us about that. Okay. Okay, because the other one, the, the rubber hand one, it gets really confusing trying to do it verbally. I, I've been through that before. So, yeah, so, so this was, uh, as I was, as I was doing research for this, for this book, I was trying to talk to, uh, I wanted to meet with as many people who were approaching the topic of, the topic of this, of the self in a, in a real way, not in a, not in a, an abstract philosophical way, but in ways that I could take home for myself in different sciences. And I visited with, a, uh, a research a research team at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, the Karolinska Institute, which gives out the Nobel Prizes, and these these were a couple of neuroscientists who doing these studies on virtual body parts, which I know sounds kind of kinky, but it was anything anything but, and they allowed me to be a subject in the in the experiment, and the uh, the main experiment, which I'll try I'll try to describe consisted of myself and a I'm an I'm an older I'm an older white male. She was the, the experimenter was an attractive early 30 something European woman, a, a Swedish a Swedish woman. We looked, you know, we, we looked completely different. Completely different. And the way she set it up was uh, we both we both got our bodies 
into, we held him in the same position. And most importantly, my right arm was in, in the same visual position to me as her right arm was to her. So when she looked down at her right arm, she would see an arm in the same position as, as would, uh, as would happen to me when I looked down on my right arm. Then she, she fitted us both with these video helmets and goggles. And her helmet was a video recorder. My helmet was a video receiver. What would happen is I would see exactly what she was seeing. And she looked down, so she would look down at her arm, and she would see her, and she saw her arm, and she then had me look down at my arm. But what I would see was I would also be seeing her arm. I would be seeing her arm in the same position where um, my arm should have should have been. And it was it was a really it was a, a just the oddest feeling to look down at my arm, this 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 old white guy's arm, and to see this young woman's arm. But here's the odd thing about it. The oddest thing about it was that I immediately took mental ownership of, of that arm. That appeared to be my arm. And then what she did was had us, we stood up, still looking at our arms, and we shook hands. Now, you know, if you shake somebody's, if you shake somebody's hand, you look at the two hands, but you feel the sensation in your hand. So now I'm looking, I'm looking down there and I'm shaking her hand and I'm looking down at her hand where my hand should be. And we're wondering, where am I going to feel the sensation? Well, I felt it quite clearly in the hand that I was looking at. What made it even odder was that that hand was shaking, appeared to be shaking my hand. And what and uh, it's talked about as uh, as virtual body parts. It's uh, it's switching virtual virtual body parts. And what happens is, I turned out to be a very typical case. She said, she said, she said, guys who do this almost all, almost always are accepting of the of this new arm. And almost everybody, I believe, I forgot exactly what percentages of way in the high in the high ninety percentages, people m- take mental ownership of the arm that they appear to be seeing. And this is just how malleable we are. You know, we we think of ourselves as having the this is my body, this is your body, but we can play these little games with ourselves that, that where you uh, where one of very quickly will take mental ownership of, uh, of a, different, a different body. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Tell me a little bit more about that. What exactly does mental ownership mean and, and how did you perceive that? Well, in my field, we have a lot of, we have a lot of toggling, figure ground toggling. And that's what I imagine what happened. I imagine what would happen is, is that here, here I've got two sets of sensations coming at me. I have, I have the, I have the physical, I have the physical sensation, which is connected to my arm. And, you know, I know what my arm feels like, you know, at, at any one moment when I focus on it, I know what my arm feels like. And then I have the visual sensation, which is looking down at that arm and I'm seeing and I'm seeing somebody else's arm. I, 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 w- I had predicted, I thought that I was going to toggle back and forth and I was going to start to feel this is this is my arm. This is her arm, my arm, her arm. But it it was immediate, immediate and total that. I felt that this was the arm I was looking at. Martina's arm was was my arm. It was just an odd feeling. I knew it wasn't right, but that's what it felt like. And that taken that next step when I'm shaking hands with my own hand, and it was comical, but I felt the sensation in her hand, in the hand that I was looking at. It's hard for me to explain it. It's hard for me to explain it too much more, but I, I think that you can draw out some consequences of this and perhaps how these sorts of things are useful. You know, when we talk about empathy with a person, well, this is creating empathy with another, with another person's arm. But, 
you know, what happened at, at the time we did the experiments, by the way, this was a few years ago, and we had these big helmets on. Now you don't need these big helmets. Uh, in, in fact, they're now uh, with, uh, with first Google Glass, and now um, I believe Microsoft has their own product, that's, or Apple, Apple has their own glass that, that's coming out now. And people are developing little contact lenses that you could put on, which are actually video receivers. So you don't even feel like you have any equipment on, but you're seeing what somebody else is seeing. You know, imagine if I wanted to generate empathy with, with, with another person. Say I'm a couples counselor, and couples counselors for a long time have used uh, role modeling, um, uh, taking print and trying to uh, imagine that the person you're talking to is you, you know, and vice versa, try to take the role of the other person. What would it be like now to, uh, to have a con- to, to come in with your, with your, with your significant other who you're trying to work, you're trying to learn to communicate with better. You put on the, you put on the contact lenses and you look in front of you and you see yourself and you, you feel that you are the other person. Wouldn't this be, wouldn't this be a powerful way of, of empathizing, being able to understand the way this other person is seeing you. You know, we, uh, how about, how about if, uh, if you want to get over your prejudices, your racism, what would it be like if one looks out and, and, and sees yourself and look down at yourself at your own arm and see, uh, an arm of a different color or, or an arm of, uh, you know, an arm of somebody who has maybe a physical disability to, how far can we push it? How, to what extent are we going to be, if we play these games with ourselves, are we able to just encompass another person? It's interesting. And I think one of the most kind of fascinating points about that, that research is that this, the felt sensation of, of sort of having a different person's arm happens regardless of, you know, sort of despite the fact that you know that it's, it's, it's happening, right? Your mind is sort of being tricked despite the fact that it knows it's being tricked. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 I mean, I, I found myself laughing at myself. In fact, at one point, I, I was, I was going to say something really inappropriate to, to her. Her name was, uh, was Martina. And I thought, I said, you know, um, Martina, I just want you to know that I love being inside your arm. Fortunately, I stopped myself. Um, I didn't know that would have uh, created an uncomfortable situation. But, but yeah, it, it was th- these machines, these these minds that we have, these little these these, these mechanisms. Uh, uh, this is this is the way they work. And if you understand the way they work, uh, it gives you some power over them. Because, you know, I started talking about the the notion of the power of the situation that. If in certain times, certain places, you arrange a situation, it'll bring out something in you. This is a very specific example that if I play around and if I, and if I, if, if I can create a certain visual, visual feel for you, and if I give you certain other cues, I can get you to feel a certain way. Well, why not do that for ourselves? Once we understand these mechanisms, and, and sometimes they're very personal. Sometimes, you know, sometimes studies are going to show generally how things happen, but often they're very personal. We, we need to, we can, we can study ourselves and find out in what situations, with what people, doing what activities, how does it make us feel? And once we, once we understand these connections, then we have some control over the situations we'd like to put ourselves in. 
the kind of people we'd like to we'd like to be with. And often I would suggest to you that when I would suggest to our listeners that when you start to make these lists, that sometimes the answers you get are counterintuitive. You know, you, you might think, uh, oh, this is this is somebody I really want to get to know. This is this is this is a this is everybody. Everybody wants to get close to this person or everybody wants this woman. Everybody wants this man. But you find that every time you leave that person, you kind of feel you feel disenergized. And maybe there's somebody else there that you just don't you just don't have it just thought about as being the kind of person that people want to know. But you find, you know, every time I walk away from a conversation with that person, I feel kind of good about it. If you can, if you can take note of these kind of things, then um, it gives you some control over how can we put it, putting out, uh, creating, creating the sort of self that we'd like to, we'd like to live with. I want to explore that question more deeply and the kind of the implications of this fluidity of the concept of the self. And, and what that means for, for changing ourselves. Before we do, you, you know, one of the other sort of components that I, I'm curious for your perspective on is the sort of the idea of the interconnectedness of, of everything, right? And, and this, I think, stems originally from sort of the hard sciences and expands more broadly. But I think it ties, it ties really neatly into the, the, the work you've done around the self. And essentially, to you know, the way I think about this is that if you look at any given, you know, let's start with a person as sort of a physical being, you know, you couldn't exist if it weren't for the laws of physics, the environment that you're currently in, the, you know, the earth itself, all the processes that had to go into the creation of that planet, the, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution of every single person and organism in the chain of, of biology that ended up in your creation. And then the other perspective of, you know, the personality, quote unquote, wouldn't really exist without the personalities of every person you've ever interacted with in every situation you've ever encountered. And so the at a very real sort of physical and like scientific sense, the self, you know, and in a unique individual personality that we have control over, I feel like almost kind of melts away. I'm laughing because I think uh, one has to uh, be a, a, a little careful when you when we start to talk about these things. It's a little bit like that uh, that old Woody Woody Allen line where uh, he was taking a philosophy class, and uh, by the end of the semester, the professor had convinced everybody that they didn't exist. And you know, <laughs> uh, but if we think if we think about our thoughts, if we think about. I mean, what are the ideas that run through our brain when you get up? You get up and you get up in the morning, and we do something. We take action. Anybody who meditates knows about, you know, is, is quite aware of this narrative that this narrative flow that's going through our brain. We make decisions. We make decisions uh, as we go along. Where do our ideas come from? We know we move into another another science, uh, some some early psychoneurology work where people would, they would hook subjects up to, well, and now it would be an fMRI and ask them, ask them to, to, at their leisure, to decide when to touch their finger to a certain point in the wall. And uh, they developed methods where they could monitor exactly the moment that the person touched the wall and that the, uh, the individual could monitor the moment that they made the decision. And naturally, there was, there's a bit of a time lapse between when one makes a decision and when the finger moves to the wall. But what was more interesting is that 
there's a, there's a spike in neural activity, a period of time. There's a spike in neural activity before the person is aware of making the decision. So it, it's as if, it's not as if, our, our brains decide before we're aware that we decided. Uh, now, it, it is, is this to say that it's a, that we're not the ones who are actually deciding? And, or how do we, uh, how do we make sense of these brains of ours? Uh, how are they related to us? And, uh, and this is, and this, I believe, is where your, your comments are, are most, are most helpful. That everything we've experienced, everything we've experienced over time, everything we've experienced in a, in the, in the, in the broadest sense, the people we, the people we've met, the genes we've inherited, the culture we've inherited, that these all somehow, uh, these have been passed down and they're all in that, they're all behind that curtain where, where the ideas, where the ideas are, are generated. Which is not, which is not to say that the self of awareness has no control. You know, we're, we're not just, we're not just the engines that are, that are driven. We, but we need to accept the fact that the work is going on behind the curtain. The, the work is going on under the surface. And once we do that, I think that self in awareness, the one that we usually identify with as our real self, we can serve as editors. We can make some decisions. We can decide, we can decide, you know, what situations we're going to put ourselves in. Or we can try to direct ourselves as best we can to, you know, I, I would prefer not to think about these kind of things. I, I don't like what I did yesterday. Gee, I really hope that I can have a better attitude towards this person tomorrow. And to some extent, we can, I think, achieve successes that way. But this is that, that curiosity of this again brings us back to the self versus the non-self. Because if you know, if we think about if we think about where these thoughts these thoughts come from, these thoughts in our brain, where are they created? How is how are these neural connections established? And in large part, they're they're going to be the people, the people that we've met, the people we were raised in, the people, the important, the important people in our lives. So in that way, others are literally part of us. There is that the, the boundary between ourselves and others is, is vague. It's vague. It's malleable. And although we, we find it it's so important for us to draw that line, to see ourselves as a unique self, to see ourselves as a, as a discrete entity. It's, it's just a story we tell ourselves. Some fascinating thoughts. And, and, and I, you know, I, I want to go down the rabbit hole of, of consciousness and how it kind of plays into this. But I want to I want to first look at and, and come back to this idea of sort of editing uh, ourselves and reshaping ourselves and, and the notion that because the self is so sort of malleable and fluid that we're not necessarily fixed or locked into our sort of existing patterns of thought and behavior. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you recognize the fact that you're different people in different situations, that you can often behave in ways that you never imagined you were going to, were going to act, it can be a little uh, threatening at first to think that I'm um, 
that we are multiple personalities. And, and not only that, but that there are these personalities under the surface that are waiting to come out, you know, put yourself in a person ends up in a new role, they end up in a new relationship, and you turn into a different person. And how many of these personalities are underneath the surface, you know, it, it can make one uh, feel like maybe it's time for us all to just pack up and go to the beach. But I would suggest that it's something it's, it's something very different that really, if you take control of it, then it allows you to uh, for possibilities. And to some extent, we can actualize these possibilities, we can think about the kind of person that we want to be, or not the person we want to be as whole, the person we want to be in this situation. I, you know, I'm going to be going for a job interview. This is how I want to be. I'm going to be meeting up with this other person later in the day. This is how I want to be. And it, it can be, we have a tendency, I think, in, in our, whatever it means to say we're in an American culture, we have a tendency to think, well, that, that kind of reeks of phoniness. But that's what it is to be a human being. And I think that it gives us some control as with, I, I like that term editor. It, I, it, it kind of, it works for me. It's, you know, you're not really, you're not going to be the one who generates the information but you can encourage the right kind of information. And, you know, if you're a good reader, then you can, uh, this needs a little bit of work. And gee, let's see if we can, let's see if we can bring out, bring out something slightly different. And, uh, and I, I find it a very exciting idea. You know, it's just, it's just, it's full of possibilities. I think the, I think the word editor is a great way to conceptualize this sort of notion that, there's so many kind of possibilities and and, and, um, and and complex differences and personalities and selves, et cetera. But, you know, we can kind of pick and choose and we may not be able to control where our thoughts arise from or, or how they got there, but we can edit and select the ones that ultimately lead us to creating positive change in our lives. Yeah. And that requires thinking for yourself. I think it requires introspection and honesty, self-honesty. And then it requires some luck. We all carry we all carry baggage, and uh, the hope that with the hope that 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 baggage is is going to work in our favor more than it's not going to work in our favor. And I think also that you know it's important to recognize that there are going to be no simple answers to these things. That uh, you know if anybody you know if anybody told you that this is the way to do it, then uh, I can't. I would. I would. You know, I think if anybody knew the way to do it, that we would all be quite aware that it's the way for everybody to do it. You know, one needs to see what works, what works best for them, what kind of what kind of approach works best for them. I think the the theme that, that you just touched on, the idea of introspection and self honesty and, and thinking for yourself, these are things that you know we 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 hear again and again and again from people from a huge diverse range of backgrounds on the show. And I, I think it just underscores that to create the life you want to create the positive results that you want in life, you really have to have those skills. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have the skills and, and it could be, and you, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, you need to have the skills you need to, de- and you need to, to, to develop the skills. And sometimes you need to take leaps, but you need to do them with, I think, I think you, I think you need to think ahead. So what would one sort of piece of homework or, or uh, something that you could, what would one thing be that you could give to the listeners that they could start to do to concretely implement some of the, the concepts and ideas that we've talked about today? Well, I'll, uh, some low, uh, a piece of low-hanging fruit here. If one, 
whatever kind of journal keeping that you prefer to keep, I would, I would suggest that somehow try to keep track of yourself. It, there are, there, there are a whole number of apps, activity tracking apps. They go into different, under various names, and I'm not going to recommend any single one. That's uh, one way of going at it. And in those cases, what it is, is uh, essentially a, a beeper system where you pro, you can program your, your phone or, or whatever to, uh, to beep at certain instances and it asks you certain questions. What are you doing? How are you feeling, uh, with a number of different answers? And you can collect this kind of information for as long as you want. You know, you do it over the course of a week or so. And then you look back on, first of all, how you spent your time, but more importantly, how you felt in these various kinds of situations. And you can go through them and you can learn a lot about yourself. And I would predict that you're going to have some surprises as to some activities you spend more time in than you ever imagined you that you were spending. And most importantly, you're going to find that there are some activities that you know, I always feel crappy after them. There's, or I always have this kind of lingering, uh, lingering sense of something's wrong or something. And then there are other ones where I always feel good. And I think thinking like that is a, a good start for trying to, trying to create some plans for oneself. And where can listeners find you and, and your books and your writings online? Well, the easiest way I have a, my website is www.boblevine.net. If you're interested in a lot of the things we've been talking about today or in my newest book called Stranger in the Mirror, in particular, we, there's a new paperback edition, uh, a revised paperback edition that's published by the press at California State University, Fresno. You can, you can look for it on Amazon or you can look at it on my website or you can contact me through my website. Well, Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom. It's a fascinating topic and, and something that you can really think about for a long time. And I really enjoyed hearing your, your insights. Oh, well, thank you so much, Matt. I really, I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I hope we get to talk, we, we get to talk more. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. 
Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply.